years back, I uh, was at Prestonwood Baptist Church, thousands and thousands of people, and the choir sang, and the preacher got up and said, I get to preach after that every week. And uh, it's not wrong to be thankful for your choir, and, uh, but I would say, I get to sing with you every week. Thank you for Brother Jeff and Cody and Robbie and Emily, and just thank you for the music and uh, thank you for the songs. I mean, whether, whatever your thoughts are of songs, I can lift my voice to these lyrics without fear, just honoring the Lord. And I don't know about your week, my week, uh, all of our weeks are different, but it's nice to gather in a place where it can exalt Christ without reserve. And so I'm thankful for that. All right. <clears throat> I've been reading faces most of my life, just part of the business, I suppose, but I can tell there are people in the room that are not that happy today, and so I try to scan my head real fast, and I don't want to single people out, but I can see it. I mean, it's like a book to me. I can tell kind of where people are, and I only say that because of my sermon. I can tell by the look on your face where you've been standing and where you've been warming yourself, where you've been standing and where you've been warming yourself is reflected in your face. It's the difference between Acts and other places. They say something like this. These people have been with Jesus. Why? Their countenance was different, right? Then you see another group of people, and you're like, they must have been with the devil because there's something going on over there. So there's something about the face that reflects what's going on within the heart. So if that's you this morning, I don't know where you're standing, and I don't know where you're warming yourself, but you might want new company. You might want new company. And that company would change your perspective on what's important, what's real in life. All right, here we are, John 18. Standing and warming is the title of the sermon, and it is about the denial, Peter's denial of Jesus. John 18, John 18. 15 through 18 and 25 through 27. The text reads this way. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So, that, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Shorthand, he's with me. Verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now, the servants of the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. You'll see it twice here. They were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Go down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I, I, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it 
and at once a rooster crowed. Father, we ask your blessings upon the preaching of your word today. I ask that it would profit and help someone this day in the manner of conviction, in the manner of resolve, that it would be a great benefit to their personal walk with you and a benefit to their family and a benefit to this church and for your glory and for their good. We pray these things by your Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> now, understandably, I say disclaimer. I don't know if it's necessarily a disclaimer, but there's much to learn from the Apostle Peter. This is a very small portion. It's a big event, but it's not his whole life. And so we're looking at a darker scene. So be encouraged here. This isn't the whole life. So your life, this one scene, isn't your whole life. And so maybe we have a dark moment. Maybe there's times we fail. Maybe there's times we don't do what we ought to do. Sometimes we come up short. But I'm just reminding you this is not the end of the story. There's a book called Acts. There's two books called First and Second Peter. There's much more to Peter's life. But here, in this story, we see a darker moment and a sense in which the fear of man grabs a hold of him, and he caves under the pressure. Be reminded that you too, no matter how strong you may think you are, no matter how strong I may think I am, in the right circumstances, without the Lord's help, we are not as strong as we think we are. If nothing else, remember this today. You need the Lord for everything. You say, well, I got this. I just trust God with this. No, 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 no. You need Him for everything everything. Keep that in mind. So no matter what level of sanctification you may be at, depend upon the Lord for the big things, for the little things, and for everything in between. Now, just in the manner of introduction, let me say this. Standing and warming yourself by the comforts of the world in the company of carnal men is a dangerous way to live. I don't care what year you are on in Christianity, standing and warming yourself with carnal men is dangerous. Standing and warming yourself on social media will put distance between you and the Savior. Standing and warming yourself in the materialistic pursuits of carnal men will cause a great divide between you and the Savior. Standing and warming yourself with the vices of society will contaminate your relationship with the Savior. Standing and warming yourself in the immoral philosophies of the world will negate your identity with the Savior. Standing and warming yourself with false doctrine will make you an apostate before the Savior. Be very careful where you stand, and why you stand there. You're not above it. I don't care how strong you think you are, who you hang with, where you get your warmth in relationships will affect your theology, your doctrine, and your daily walk. You can't get warm enough in an hour here. I can preach for an hour. I can preach for four hours if you'd like me to. But you're going to need a lot more standing and warming than just Sunday morning in order to stand strong with the Lord. So let me talk to you about three things. Number one, 
the fear of man. I'm going to give you the solution first, and then we'll unfold this fear of man. And I'm taking the fear of man from a narrative about Peter. And I see him in a situation standing and warming himself around carnal men. And the pressure of their eyes, the pressure of their influence causes him to say things he would not say when he's with John and when he's with other disciples in the presence of Jesus. Over here, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Over here, I don't, I don't, I don't know who you are. But it's because of the pressure of who he's standing with. So let me give you the solution. Just a very quick um, experiential solution. The best way to deal with the fear of man is resolve. Conviction. To know what you believe, why you believe it, to have a resolve about issues in life. That way when the pressure comes and the situation unfolds, you know what your answer is. Obviously, resolve in truth with the assistance of the Holy Spirit to enable you to stand for that truth. Okay, So resolve, spirit help to deal with the fear of man. I'll give you an example. My grandmother was in her 90s. I forget which year of her 90s. And in her 90s, that's pretty near the end. She couldn't see very well, and she had to have uh, cataract surgery on both of her eyes. The doctor, the family, and the friends say, don't do it. All of the pressure of family allegiance says, don't have cataract surgery at your age. It's not good. My grandmother says what? I will have cataract surgery, and the reason I'll have cataract surgery is because I can't read my Sunday school lesson. That's her resolve and her conviction. She denies doctors and all the family has the surgery and she's able to read her Sunday school lesson. I say a word about my father this morning. My father had back surgery, 18 staples in his back, having very difficult walking. He can't get up the stairs. Everybody says, rest, 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 and rest. My dad says, my brother is going to die. I want to see him before he dies. My dad and mom get in a truck. They drive 11 hours one way just to be with his brother to see him one more day before he passes. They spend the whole day with him. They leave on Thursday. They spend the day with him on Friday. And on Saturday, they drive 11 hours back to the house. My dad's wore out. He's in a lot of pain. Sunday morning, what does my dad do? It's time to go to church. After all of that, Dad, aren't you tired? Yes, I'm tired. Dad, don't you hurt? Yes, I hurt. What are you doing? I'm going to church. You mean you should rest. I'm not resting. I'm going to church. He already made the resolution. He's already made the resolve, and he's not listening to men. It'll help you when the pressures mount to know what you believe. Now, on the fear of man, it's an Old Testament text. You can mark it. It's well worth your memory. It's very short. It's very easy to memorize. The fear of man is a snare. Snare. A trap. You ever trap raccoons or something? You put the trap out. They come by. I got a chain. It's hooked to a tree. And they come by. John knows about trapping up in New York. Come by and the animal's foot goes in there and wham, it clamps on them. And they are hurt. They're maimed, they're crying out, but they cannot get away. 
The fear of man is exactly that on every one of us. Traps you and binds you into positions you cannot seem to find a way out. In a New Testament note of a um, a translation I was reading, it says this, snare is an implied comparison. Fearing people is like being in a trap. There is no freedom of movement and there's no sense of security. I can't freely do what I want and I'm not secure about anything. Your whole life is bound up in what does my spouse think? My whole life is bound up in what do my coworkers think? My whole life is bound up in what will my friends think? I'm trapped in this world and you stay in it so long, you don't even know what you think. The other half of the verse, Proverbs 29, 25, but whoever, anybody in the room, whoever would trust in the Lord is safe. Is safe. Safe. The Hebrew word means to be set securely on high. Was the man who would just trust the Lord no matter what all the world has to say. That man is safe. Okay. Some people spend their entire lives, some of you in this very room are bound to this very day by the pressures and the snares of men. And there are a few who simply live in their identity in Christ, contrary to what any man may think. It's a blessed way to live. But many of us are trapped. Let me give you some examples. One from a text. Matthew 21. You don't have to turn there. I'm just paraphrasing it. But Matthew 21, 23 through whatever. There's some uh, chief leaders there and there's some elders there. And Jesus says, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, was it from God or was it from man? And here's these religious leaders. You know what they say? Oh, if we say it's from God, then Jesus is going to say, why would we believe? But if we say it from, it's from man, then the people are going to revolt and they're going to be mad at us. And they're in this snare. If we answer this way, he's mad. If we answer this way, they're mad. We don't know how to answer because we're trapped in fear of what everybody around us thinks. And then classically, Jesus says, you won't answer my question? I'm not answering none of your questions. He didn't care what they thought. But this is how we live. I mean, throughout our life, we're like thinking everything about what somebody else thinks in order to make our decision. This is Peter standing and warming. Uh, Weren't you also with the man? Well, if I say this, well, if they're going to kill him, then they might. Well, if he, uh, uh, I, I don't know him. This is the situation. So think about it for your life. Let me apply it a little bit more. Your speech is affected. Every one of these are positive and negatives. Fear of man affects your speech. How do you talk around all the men you work with who curse all day long? Well, if I don't curse, they'll think I'm a pansy. That's because you're in a trap and you fear men and you curse in order that they would think you're bold and brave. And so you speak the way you speak to impress mortal men. 
It's the way we do. We talk in a vein that is acceptable to our environment where what? Where the people around us will like us. And in many times our speech betrays our allegiance to Christ. What's the school going to say? What's my boss going to say? What's my spouse going to say? What's my friend going to say? We're playing golf, and if I talk about Jesus, what are they going to say? And, and, and I, don't know, I don't know how to talk. So I listen to the voices around me, and I just talk like them because it's easy. We can go on. Your wardrobe is affected by the fear of man. Well, I can't wear this because the people at church might not like that. Well, I can't wear this because so-and-so might say this. Well, it's really not the trend of the style, and so I need to wear this. Well, I have to fix my hair this way, and I have to put on this makeup because, I mean, that's, I mean if I don't do that, then what's Sister Susie going to think if I don't wear makeup to church? And if I don't curl my hair, I mean, so-and-so is going to be so let down. And you spent your whole morning trying to prepare for worship by wondering what everybody else thought about the way you looked. Do it every week. Because we're afraid of what men think. Your, your attitude, positive and negative. It, it's positive if everybody around you is positive. It's negative if everybody around you is negative. Why can't you have an attitude that reflects Christ no matter what anybody else's attitude is? Your, your answers are affected. I, I'm going to answer this way. Oh, but if I answer this way, uh, it's going to cost me. I don't know if I want to pay the cost. Your allegiances are affected. Who are you with? Who do you stand with? Where, where are those times when, you, when you're ashamed to say you're a member of By the Word Baptist Church because it might put you in uncomfortable territory because that's that church that says something about homosexuality. Oh, they got that preacher out there that said something about women shouldn't be in the pulpit. And, and you, you back off because you don't want to be identified. And you think silence, they'll overlook it. It's fear man. Your convictions get challenged. Your resolves are confirmed or your resolves are denied. Now, Peter here, standing and warming. Three times in our text, he says standing and warming. Just a couple of things. Peter desired to know what would happen with his Lord. There's positives to that. He wanted to be close enough to see where this thing was going. He loved Christ. He cared about Christ. He wanted to know how this was going to unfold. But as it started unfolding, pressures got to him. I think Peter was committed to follow his Lord. You remember in Mark 14, 31, this is what he said. Peter emphatically said, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Resolve on Sunday morning is a blessed thing, but resolve gets tested when you walk out the doors. I'm with Christ. I believe the gospel. I believe the Bible. I'm going to heaven. Jesus is the way. There's no other way. But then I go out here in the workplace and all these pressures come and it begins to get a little cloudy. Peter began to feel the weight of what it meant to be identified with Christ. So many people, that's why I hate the whole goofy system of the Southern Baptist Convention of having people walk down aisles and repeat prayers and saying, bless God, they're saved. Because so many of them do this little trick in the church and they go out and at the slightest pressure, they throw it away. 
Because it's not real. It's not genuine. When it's real and it's genuine, those people will work through those resolves and stand. Come hell or high water, they are with Christ. Peter allowed the fear of man to negate his verbal support of the Son of God. When the fear of man causes you to fail, and it does to all of us, remember that through repentance, there is refreshing and renewing that comes from the Lord. But just remember, Peter didn't stay here. So you, you feel the weight and you say, man, you're talking about me, pastor. Yeah, I'm talking about myself too, but we don't have to live here. We can undo the trap and we can trust the Lord and things can be different and we can live in safety on high. Stop standing and warming yourself with carnality and learn to live in the fear of God. Now, in application form, intentionally going to a pagan environment to evangelize is different than standing and warming yourself in society. Now, I've gone, and people around here have gone to a lot of environments. John's gone to the abortion clinic, Cody's gone to the stockyards, on and on. We could go. We don't go there to identify with them, hang out. That's a different thing than standing and warming yourself. Go in those positions to proclaim something. <clears throat> now, leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, whatever, leaders and followers are not sufficient in themselves to stand on their own strength. You may say, well, Pastor Ravner, you can stand. Without the Lord's help, I will fall as quickly as Peter. We need to know that. I'm not as strong as you might think I am. I'm not as strong as I think I am. It is impossible without the help of Christ to stand. Now, here's an Old Testament example. This is a good answer. Ezekiel is shown an impossible situation, and he's asked a very difficult question. This is a great answer. Oh, Lord God, you know. Oh, my trust is you. I don't know nothing. I know you know, and I'm leaning on you. And then in Psalms, do not fall into the pattern of handling things you think you can handle and trusting God for the things you cannot handle. Live in this reality that if the Lord does not help you, you will fail. Pause. When you live in that reality, how does your day start? Lord, I need help today. I'm going out there to my job. Unless you help me, I'm going to get in a snare. So when you believe this, you commit yourself continually under his care to have the strength to stand against the pressures of humanity. David says it this way, commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. All right, secondly, familiarity with man. So we have fear of man, now we have the familiarity with man. I cannot, maybe it's not the way you're supposed to do it, I don't know anymore, but I cannot help but to think of Psalm chapter 1. I just can't help it, so we have to read it. Psalm 1, 1 through 6, and see if these parallels work. Blessed is the man, here's the blessed man, who walks not 
in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The blessed man doesn't do that. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff. The wind just drives away. They're just blown by whatever pressure comes up against them. This little leaf sheaf off a corn stalk out there, the wind blows this way, sheaf goes that way. Wind blows this way, it goes that way. Unstable in all of its ways, just submitting to the greater pressure. That's the way the wicked are. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor are sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Walk, stand, sit. Peter's walking along with the crowd to see what's going to happen to Jesus. Peter stands by the barrel because his flesh is cold. And my text doesn't say he sat down, but in a sense, it was a comfortable place and he didn't escape to leave. He just stays there. And sitting in that environment, he is broken down. Do any of you know this stuff? How many times have you heard, little Johnny went to so-and-so church, and he graduated from high school, and he's a good little kid, and he loved Jesus, and he went to college and became an apostate? How many people have heard stories like that? I don't know what happened. They had all this Christian training. Look, they are in an environment completely entrapped in the fear of man. Everybody's shoving all this stuff down their throat, and they break. I was sitting in seminary one time doubting whether or not the Word of God was the Word of God because of what professors were saying and liberal theologians were saying and books I was reading. I started to wonder if this book was even real. I wanted to know if Moses even wrote all five books of the first five books of the Old Testament. I started having all kinds of questions. I was ready to quit the seminary and to quit ministry. The pressures are real, and the fear of man shook me to the core. Thanks be to God, he didn't leave me there. But he brought somebody into my life that was godly and said, this is God's book. Thankful for that. But pressures are real for your kids for yourself, for your family. And this fear of man gets a hold of you and you say and do things because you're too familiar with men and not familiar enough with the Savior. Walks not, nor stands, nor sits. Progression in this direction is deadly. Let me give you an example. And like a little bit like Cody, or Cody's like me, uh, however you want to say it, crazy, young, and zealous. You just go preach somewhere, right? I'm a little Southern Baptist boy. I don't know nothing. I come to seminary. All I know is God called me to preach, and I'm going to preach. I find a place where they do preaching in crazy places, preaching bars and nightclubs and homeless shelters. We preaching all the time. Every Friday night we're preaching. The first time I went, hey, we're going to go and give hot dogs out at a, at a liquor store. We're going to give hot dogs out and preach the gospel. I'm like, I never heard nothing like that in my whole life. And so I go down there, and I start walking with these people. They're all full-blown charismaniacs. 
And I'm like, well, I don't care. At least we're preaching the gospel. I start justifying preaching the gospel. I start walking with them. Then I start standing around with them. And I'll tell you, I'm not proud of it, but I'll tell you this. One night in my room at home, I'm on my knees trying to learn how to pray in tongues. And I'm saying this gibberish, and I don't even know why I'm doing it. I even felt stupid while I was doing it. And I'm sitting there doing this mumbling stuff, and I'm like, what am I doing? I've been walking. I've been standing, and now I'm sitting with these people. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this must stop. So now we're going to be resolved? It don't take no time. They kicked me out, and they wasn't welcoming me back. But, but I was pressured because that's, hey, you got to speak in tongues. you got to speak in tongues. And all the pressure came. I thought, well, I guess that's what i got to do. And so I submitted to the fear of man. And the only way out, see, I was familiar with the workings. The only way out. Resolve, conviction, and the help of the Spirit of God. I'm glad I got out. I'm glad God got me out. <clears throat> Spending time is just rhetorical questions. But I have to ask them about your familiarity with man. So I see sad faces. I see lack of zeal. I see apathy. I see lack of love for Christ all around the room every week happens to us just go through the motions because that's what good little baptists do just go through the thing and hey i was at church what's the problem is at least be honest with yourself for a minute you don't have to tell me nothing just be honest why why is it that you are where you are why is it that your attitude is what your attitude is why why is it that in a sense church is a downer and inconvenience why is church an obligation for you why is there no joy or zeal why is there no laughter why is there no good fellowship why is this not the greatest day of your week why why is this not the day you've longed for all week it's because you're too familiar with men how much time are you invested in the world How much time do you interact with the world? How much information do you receive from the world? Think it through. You you add up social media, you add up the TV, you add up the conversations, you add up your hobbies and the friends you hang up with, you add up all of that time, and you say, well, this is my time with men, and this is my time with God. No wonder you're miserable. No wonder it's an inconvenience to come to church because it's counterculture to the way you actually live. Whereas if you were more familiar with Christ, more invested into Christ, this day would be Super Bowl day. This day would be the day that finally I get to meet with some people who have sanity. People who actually love Christ, love the Word, and know there's a real heaven that awaits before us and I can't wait to be with them. But it's not that way if you're too familiar with men. All you're doing is saying, I can't wait to get back to the world. In your pursuit of Christ, make sure that the people you're around will spur you on to good works rather than pressure you into self-destruction. I know this is true, but in life it is far easier to walk with people who will not challenge you. It's a lot easier to eat with people who are not serious about God. It's a lot easier to do hobbies with people that don't care about Jesus. It's a lot easier. 
Look, hey, I can give you an example. I can still remember Glen Rose riding with a bunch of cycling guys in spandex. Looked like a bunch of idiots riding down the road. It's, all, it's easy. It's real easy. Unless, in the middle of the ride, you look up and you go, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaimed His handiwork. And day to day, He pours out His speech. And you quote that verse, and all of a sudden, you're no longer welcome in the pack. It's a lot easier just to go with the flow, but if you make any kind of a stand, it's difficult. So we take the road of least resistance. It's easier. Find someone. I encourage you as your pastor, find someone that you know that is godly, and walk with them. Meet together and pray. Meet together and encourage one another. Meet together and read the Bible together. Hold one another accountable. Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, two are better than one because you have a good reward for your toil. I know that's used for marriage, but it's true across the board. Find somebody that loves Christ and would challenge you and invest in following and being with them and spur one another on to good works. No? Yes? Lastly, the facts of man. So we did fear of man, familiarity with man. Let us conclude with the facts. The past is a snare. Listen to the text. This is what they say to Peter. Three questions. Listen closely. You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Second, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? Third, did I not see you with him? This is what they're asking. It's the facts. We know these are the questions. (coughs) These questions are asked to recall the past situation and to pressure him into an answer that will indict him. Are you? The answer is, Yes, yes would be an indictment that he is with him. That's why they were asked that way. They give an opportunity for compromise. Are you? Well, there's an opportunity to say, well, are you a member of By the Word Baptist Church? Are you? Uh, Well, if the person asking the question it's too much pressure. Well, I, I attend there sometimes. Yeah, I, I went there in the past. Is, is this question that sets up the compromise? Let me make it more real. Here's the examples. Are you one of those Christians? Are you one of those Christians that thinks abortion is murder? And you're in a room of those who hold a different position? Let's ask it a different way. Are you one of those Christians who thinks a person can't be gay and Christian? What century are you living in? Hey, don't you know what Amy Grant said? Love God, love people. Are you one of those Christians who think That Jesus is the only way to heaven? Could you please answer that, Joel Osteen? Oh, no, 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 no. You can't answer. Why can you not answer? Bring up these questions. Bring these before us and make us think about what do we believe? What do we hold? 
Are you one who stood in this church and said, no, we're not going to allow masonry to take over this church? Are you one of those? Yeah, I was there. I know how I voted. But if I say this, they're, really, they're not going to give money to my charity anymore. Well, let's go Old Testament then. Hopefully these things are working. There's a day. Moses, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he killed him. He killed the guy. One of his own people. He looked that way. He didn't see no one. He just struck the guy down. And he hit him in the sand. And then the next day he sees <coughs> these two Hebrews. And they're fighting. And Moses says, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill us? Past, right? Facts of man. Like you killed the Egyptian. Brought up the past. Take off running and leave the country in absolute fear. I'm telling you this for a reason. When you stand, when you reject the fear of man, and you come out of the familiarity of man, here's what happens. They bring up past situations of your life and say, weren't you this? Weren't you this? Didn't you do that? And they bring your past up, and in your heart, you know what they're saying is right. You did do this, and you did say that, and you did walk with those people, and you did hang with that crowd, and all of that stuff is true. And you take that past, and you allow it to silence you, and to make you bow down in submission to them, and be trapped by their words. (coughs) One of the tactics of the enemy is to bring up past records. Use them to cause doubt, despair, and depression. Everybody in this room has a past. Everybody has an association. Everybody's been involved in something. We all have it. But is it not through the gospel that we discover that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin? Can we not come to a resolve that if it's the devil, the coworker, the family, the friends or the hobby people we hang out with, that if they make an accusation about our past, that we could simply say, you're right, but Jesus has corrected the situation. There is wisdom in preaching to yourself so long as you use this book for your preaching. So let's do so. You turn in your Bible to Romans 8 and verse 31, and we'll just preach a short sermon to ourselves to conclude this long sermon. And this sermon we'll just take directly from the text and let's just preach about our past. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Here's the truth. Preach this to yourself. It is God who justifies. (coughs) Who is it to condemn? Who? The devil? The world? What right do you have? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who's at the right hand of God? Who's indeed, he's interceding for me. Who's going to separate me from the love of Christ? I tell you, nobody's going to do it. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword... 
As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I say to the world, you can stop talking because I'm with him. You bring up my past, all you want to bring up my past, I'm going to bring up my present, and it's the power of the blood of Christ to cleanse me. And when this deal's done, I'm going home. Your words don't hold me, your pressures don't hold me, your fears don't hold me, because Christ holds me, and you've got no right to condemn. It's true for every Christian in the room. Your identity is in Christ. You do not have to submit to the pressures of men. Jesus said what? Sanctify them of the truth. Your word is truth. Whatever your goals are as a Christian, you're going to need the Lord's help. Do not err and become overconfident. Do not err and give up caring. Wake up each day. Seek the Lord. Ask Him for your daily needs. Depend on Him. Look to Him. Trust Him far more than you trust yourself. Stand with Christ and be warmed by his presence. I'm not trying to be trite. I'm not trying to just aggravate people. I'm just telling you, if you wake up and spend time with Facebook rather than Christ, it is going to corrupt your relationship with Christ. It just is. It's going to zap everything. You have to spend time with Christ Not Facebook, with the Word. Here is life, here is sweetness, here is joy, here is gold, here is preciousness, and here we are playing with little trinkets that do nothing. Let us spend time with Christ. Let's say this morning, and lastly, those who refuse week after week in this church to repent and to believe upon Christ for salvation, you remain forever standing in the world, warming yourself on carnality and trying to satisfy your flesh. And without Christ, in the end, you will stand in hell and be warmed by the fire of the wrath of God for all of eternity. So I beseech every man, woman, boy, or girl in this room, stand with Christ and be warmed by the Spirit of God and you will find life there. Brother Jeff, if you'll lead us in song.